All right. Now, if you could join me on the back of your bulletin or in your Bible in Psalm 1, uh, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for this beautiful day, this time to come together and meditate on your words and on your truth. I pray that it would penetrate us and that we would understand what it means to be in your presence and to love and just meditate on your word. I pray that as Brian speaks, uh, that we would just really, really come to understand your truth and come to apply it to our lives. God, we just want to be righteous and want to be right with you. We love you, and Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, I invite you to uh, keep your Bible open to Psalms chapter 1 this morning. We are starting a, uh, a short summer series called Modern Problems, Timeless Solutions. Modern Problems and Timeless Solutions. And uh, this morning we will look at Psalms 1 and we will look at what the Bible says about how do we live a good life. And that's something that we all think about, we all desire. And um, so I want to begin this morning just by looking at a couple of, of words to try to bring some clarity um, to the passages that we, we read this morning. And so if you have your Bible, uh, keep yourself there in Psalms chapter 1. And uh, Psalms 1 is something that's uh, familiar to many people. It's, it's one of the more well-known psalms. And um, it was something that I actually memorized when I was in fourth grade. And so it's something I've been kind of had in my mind for a long time. And, and I will say this, that um, to, to help us understand this psalm, this, this, um, this passage, which is a, a wisdom psalm, we need to understand a couple of words that have been uh, that have repeated a couple times. Number one is the word blessed. And... Um, that word is uh, an interesting word, and it's, it's, it's not all that helpful, but um, when you look at uh, Hebrew scholars, they came up with another word that wasn't all that helpful either, and they came up with the word happy. So when, you're, when I'm studying and you're, and you're looking at commentaries and trying to read things and, and see things and study things in the original language, and they can't come up with the word happy, that's not all that helpful to me. And, and um, uh, you know, a happy life, uh, when I say, would you like a happy life, we, we probably would have many different understandings of that word. And it, that doesn't help me all that much. But if we go the negative, that helps bring a little bit of clarity. Like, do you want to be unhappy today? Well, none of us really would want to be unhappy. And, and, but a, a happy life can have a, a wide definition. So we're going to explore that word. The other word, though, that's significant 
that's hard to translate is the word wicked. Now, that's not a word that we would normally um, find all that valuable today. When we think of the idea of modern problems, timeless solutions, and we hear the word wicked, that's one translation that the English Standard Version uh, has used, but other translations use the word ungodly. And that helps a little bit more. So the passage this morning is this contrast between um, a blessed life or a good life or a happy life versus an ungodly life and what those two things look like. So we will um, we'll look at Psalms chapter 1 and it breaks into three easy sections. Chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 is about a good life. Verses 4 and 5 are about an ungodly life. And then verse 6 concludes with God providing um, uh, a safety for us. So, number one, what is this good life? How, think about this for a second. Um, that the Bible actually says to us this morning that by following God we can have a good life. Uh, even a happy life. And if we, if we just ponder that for a moment, to think about this, like what does that mean to you? That, that God wants you to be happy, that he wants you to enjoy your life, that he wants you to have a good life. And, and we think about that, the world that we live in, all the things going on. Now just for a couple of seconds, because you're going to get stuck in a dark place. But if you think about the world around us, what's going on? And the things in, in our government and internationally and nationally, and just the things that are going on. There's, there's a disconnect, there's a conflict between what's going on in, in real life and this idea that God wants to give us um, a, a good life, a beautiful life. And so we need to think about that for a moment. Um, this idea that um, God wants to give us a good life is a consistent message uh, that we find here in Psalms chapter 1. And uh, let me, I just want to give you one insight into... Um, to help us understand what this good life is about. And the author of Psalms is going to say it's about what you delight in, what you delight in, and what you think about. Um, I came across one commentator and he said this, and, and this is one of the things I want to focus on this morning as far as helping you understand what does it truly mean to have a good life? And here's what one commentator said this, that a good life is building trusted relationships that learn to love deeply. That regardless of where you live, regardless of your income, regardless of how many friends you have and how popular or unpopular you are or what you do at work, that a good life is about building trusted relationships that learn to love one another deeply. And when we begin to understand that, when you begin to think through that, your life becomes a good life, a beautiful life. Let me just share with you some introductory thoughts um, from Psalms chapter 1. And I hope you have your Bible this morning, or I hope you have a handout so you can follow along, because um, it's, it's truly important that we begin to study, and, and we're students of God's Word, and, and that what I'm saying, listen, what I'm saying, just words of a man. I'm just a regular guy. Right, so the words that I'm saying are nothing special, but God's word is significant, and that's what we want to we want to be aware of. Uh, I listened to a sermon this week by a guy named uh, Ray Ortland, and then let me just share just a few introductory thoughts that that he shares about Psalms chapter one. And here's what he says: Verse one says this: 
Uh, verse 1 is about what the good life person does not do. So we're going to look at this. The good life, people who have a good life, they don't do certain things. Verse 2 is about what the good life person does do. Verse 3 is the good life person uh, kind of in action. Verse 4 is the ungodly are acted upon. Verse 1 and 4, the ungodly are very busy. They're very active. They're in motion. In verse 3, the good life person, their life is planted. The author will use the example of a tree. Verse 2, the Hebrew verb in verse 2 is one of quiet thoughtfulness. That the good life... Now, this, we have to think about this and think about our lives today. The good life is lived by someone who is quiet and thoughtful. The good life person stands still and sets his mind on God. The ungodly are busy with misplaced desires. And so what this passage does this morning is it gives us a, a contrast lifestyles of a good life, that God wants to give you a good life. And a happy life, you know, whatever that means for you, that's a hard word for me to, to wrestle with. But a, a quality of life that is good, that is beautiful, that is joyful. And I think that's something that we all want. And it's something that's about building relationships, building trusted relationships that learn to love one another deeply. I, I came across an article in the New York Times, and I've mentioned this before, and I'm just going to show you with you one small bit of it. But... Uh, the New York Times did a story on a Harvard University study on the good life. And the study began in 1938. All right, So this is a long time that Harvard University has been studying this idea of a good life. What is a good life about? And they've had all these different directors as, as the study has gone on because it's been going on for so long. But here's one thing I'm going to share with you about how Harvard University's research program lines up with what Psalms 1 is talking about. <clears throat> they said this, as researchers looked at the factors throughout the years that strongly influenced well-being, here's what they found. They found that relationships with friends and especially spouses were a major one. Trusted relationships Start with your spouse that learn to love one another deeply. The people in the strongest relationships <clears throat> were protected against chronic disease, mental illness, memory decline. Even those who were in relationships that had many ups and downs. So when the Bible talks about this idea that there is a good life that's available to you all this morning, and it begins to give us signals about this good life and what it's about. We can see already in just what observations I've made that there's something about this busyness, just busy, 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 and how that leads to um, something that's negative versus the lifestyle of a good person, a godly person that has an understanding of stillness, of thoughtfulness. So here's what happens. Um, let's look at this. And, and we'll look a little bit more specifically first at the good life, at the, the man or the woman who has a good life. So the author says this, blessed is the man, happy is the man, joyful is the man, 
or woman <clears throat> um, who does what? Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Here's what this is talking about. So the busy people, the ungodly people, what the author is saying is this, um, that you listen that you listen to the advice of the ungodly, that you allow your mind to be shaped by the ungodly, that you allow your way of thinking, you, you allow your view of life to be shaped by the ungodly. You allow your expectations of life to be shaped by the ungodly. Now the ungodly, here's the idea, the ungodly in this passage are people whose lives are not deeply connected to God. And we'll talk more about that. The ungodly are people whose lives are not deeply connected to God. And there's a restlessness according to the Psalms. There's a continual activity to try to cease from the, the restlessness that life brings. Next, it says this. This has to do with behavior, standing with the sinners. Behavior, this means you just do what they do. You're living out the lifestyle. Um, living out false expectations, living out uh, the dream, um, living out the dream that you just follow your heart. I read a little bit this week about this idea that there's something in our culture right now of just follow your heart, follow your dreams, and thinking through that. And, and set expectations by your own heart. Um, I'll never forget, this was a long time ago, and this is one of the things that happens as you get older and you try to make connections, but I'll never forget, and we all have experiences like this, but when I was a senior in college, um, a group of us went to Kauai. If you're old enough and you remember, there was a hurricane that hit there a long time ago called Iniki, and so we went there and, and helped them. And, uh, there's a small little church, and you can drive by it still today, it's called Anahola Baptist Church, and uh, we had a connection there with a the pastor, and so... One guy said, hey, do you want to go to Kauai? And I'm like, of course. And um, the pastor, so there are like 10 or 12 of us guys, 22 years old, and the pastor, husband, married, two little boys, and he said, you know what? I want all of you guys to come over for dinner tonight. And, um, and I, I wish I remembered the words that he said, but it was some kind of like Hawaiian lingo, and it was something like Hawaiian sirloin or something like that. And I was like, it, it had some kind of connotation with like meat, like a nice steak. And I was like, yeah, of course, it sounds great. And, uh, wasn't it, you know, we got there. Now you have to remember, now that I'm like his age, and you're inviting 10 or 12 22-year-olds that just eat massive amounts of food, you know what we had? we had? We had top ramen. We had top ramen and rice. And I thought, I'm like, I was like, this isn't steak. This is like, this is not what I was expecting. And, um, and now as you get older, and, and you're married, and you have a family, and you realize how much like, children eat, and here's, my, here's my, my thought was this. If you follow your dreams, and you follow your heart, your heart is wrapped up in self. Your heart is wrapped up in selfishness. Your heart will create wrong expectations for your life, and you're going to be stuck in immaturity and, uh, and in unhappiness indefinitely. So what, what the Bible is teaching us here is that the good life is aware 
You have to be self-aware that you're not going to allow culture or your own even heart to shape your life. You're, not, you're, you're going to be aware of what does it actually mean to live a good life. And here, look at verse 2 now. And here's, here's some beginning understanding of what is this good life about. It's what you delight in. Verse 2 says this, but you delight, your delight is in the law of the Lord. Literally, your delight is in the Torah of the Lord. So the, the principle or the point is this, that your delight is in God's word. And here's the question we can begin to ask ourselves. Is that true in our lives? That we find our delight in God's word. That the affections of our heart are attracted to God's word. That God's word speaks truth into our life. That there's something beneficial there. That there's something that we find satisfying in our lives. And here's what I'm going to propose. and I, I, It's just for us to evaluate. That the busyness of the world, the busyness of life, leads us to this idea that if I don't pick up my Bible and instantly find something that satisfies my need at that moment, I'm not going to spend time reading God's Word. That there is an immaturity in our culture that needs self-affirmation. I need to read the Bible so it satisfies me right now, makes my life better right now, and it's contrary to the good life. The Psalms goes on and says this, that on his law, he meditates day and night. That, we meditate, that we're willing to think about this. That we're willing to think about our lives. And when we combine these two ideas of what the affections of our heart are stuck on, and what we, what we delight in, and then what habits we have, those are the things that will determine your life. Uh, Dick Lucas uh, preached a sermon on this, and he talked about that when we combine these two things, that the author of this psalm is talking about the development of your character, the shaping of your character, and the things that you accomplish in your life. Think about this. What, what, what are we trying to accomplish in our lives? What are we truly trying to accomplish? And what I, what I want to propose to you that that my hope for us is what we're trying to accomplish is this. Trusted relationships that learn to love one another deeply. Yes, we all have careers. We all have to have a way of income, and those things are important and good part of our lives. <clears throat> but what's even more important than that is do you have someone in your life that is a trusted friend? Do you have people in your life like that? Work to achieve those things. Work to accomplish those things. Work to love your spouse deeply if you're married. Work to build trust in your marriage if you are married. The continual struggle that we have is this idea of misplaced love. Let me give you an example of how easy this can happen and how something that we can all be guilty of, of this idea of of uh, misplaced love and how they can hinder <clears throat> trusted relationships. One example that I heard this week was of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, of the idea of a, of a trusted friend sharing something deeply personal with you. And then later on that evening or the next day, you share that with other people after having been asked to keep that in confidence. 
So you've got a friend struggling with something. They share something that's vulnerable um, about their life. And you are unable to keep that thing close. And you share with other people. And I heard this week, what is the root behind that? What is the idea? And here's the, here's the root behind that. You care more about popularity than you do about friendship. You care more about being seen as a person who knows things, who's in the know, who has the latest, greatest news, than being a true friend. And we need to think about this. What are, you, what are we trying to achieve in our lives? What are we trying to accomplish in your life? Let me, um, <clears throat> if you have your Bible, let me give you one example of this. And there's a really interesting passage. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 17. Let me just play this out for you for just a second. As far as the idea of a good life. <clears throat> this is Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. And this has to do with laws concerning a king of Israel. All right, let me read it to you and then I'll, I'll, I'll give you some principles we can take away from this as far as this idea of delighting in God's word, of meditating on God's word and thinking about it. Okay, so these are instructions to a king. Verse 14, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. Now when, the, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving to you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me that you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers shall set a, as a king over you, that you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Verse 16, uh, only he must not acquire many horses. Listen, I'll just give you the heads up. Here's the things he's not to do. The, so as we said before, that the good life, there are certain things we are not to do. Here's an example of, certain things the king is not to do. Number one, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. You shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive gold and silver. All right, so what in the world is this talking about? All right, so here's what, think about this for a second. This is about a rightly ordered love life, which leads to a good life, which leads to a beautiful life, which leads to a joyful life. Number one, the king was not supposed to acquire many horses. All right, and you can say, well, that kind of relates in Malibu. There's lots of horses here. And that's not the point at all. Here's the point. The point is this. Think of a military tank. As a king, you are not to acquire lots of military tanks which is this, the ability to make war. Here's the principle. Your identity as a king must not be in your ability to conquer other nations. The idea is this, is that we can accumulate things, we can have things to expand, uh, we can have things that are about self-promotion, we can do things in our careers that advance our careers, he says this, don't acquire many wives. Now, like, what in the heck does that have to do with my life today? I'm not thinking about that this morning, acquiring lots of wives. You have to think ancient culture. One of the reasons why a king would have many wives 
is because is you would marry other powerful men's daughters who are wives. So it's alliance building. The more wives you had who, whose fathers were powerful people as king, now you're building a larger empire. So the idea is this for us today. Why do you network with people? Why are you, do you only build relationships with people that can help you, that can advance you, that are further along in their career? Because at the core of that is you're just using people for your own selfish gain. And these are things that do not lead to a beautiful life. These are not things that lead, just think about this for a second. Do those lead to trusted relationships? Obviously, they do not lead to trusted relationships. Psalms 1 is about us learning what a beautiful life is. And a beautiful life has to do with building trusted relationships that learn to love one another deeply. Then that last warning for the king was this, about acquiring massive amounts of wealth. So there are things that we are to do. There are things that we are not to do. And let's finish up with this. Go back to Psalms for a second. And we won't, we won't look at all of the Psalms this morning, but I want to um, continue by looking at this picture now of the good life. So the good life is known by what you don't do and by what you do do, and you delight in God's word. You think about it, you meditate on it. And here's the example, that your life is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And the idea here is this, is that regardless of the circumstances of life, regardless, if we take the example, regardless of the amounts of rain that are, that's coming down that particular year, when your life is connected to what? Streams of living water. You can have a beautiful life. Your life is not dependent on perfect amounts of rainfall. Your, your life is not dependent on everything lining up just the way you want. Your life is not dependent on it going according to your heart. David is saying this, that there is a source, a way to have a beautiful life that is not dependent on the circumstances of life, that is not dependent on how people treat you or how well your career goes or how well everything goes in life. But there is something beautiful that leads to a fruitful life, a beautiful life. And that's a tree that has deep roots in the living water. It's a picture, and here's the contrast again. Now, verse 4, here's the contrast with the ungodly. It says this, the ungodly, and this is stronger in the Hebrew than we get in English, not so. The ungodly, not so. You don't have a beautiful life. Not so. That you don't have this picture of this beautiful tree that's planted by the streams of living water. Instead, it says this, but you are like the chaff that the wind drives away. And that's the idea of this. And This is just a, a clear picture of, of, of the sifting of the wheat. The ungodly are not so. And the idea is this. Then when you, when you don't have commitments in your life, commitments to God, our lives get blown about. The picture of this is that there is nothing steady or calm in your life. There was ceaseless anxiety, 
just continual, this is the pattern of my life. I, I talk to people in, in our church, and, and we need to think carefully about this idea, this pattern of endless anxiety and stress and restless hearts. And think about this. What, what is happening in our lives? What are we pursuing in our lives that's preventing us from having this tree, this beautiful tree planted by living waters? And I want to ask you to think about this. What are you committed to? What are your commitments in life? What are your priorities? Is there anything in your life that is non-negotiable? Are there things in your life that you are holding on to because they are good and they are true and they are valuable? The wicked are not so, but their lives are like the chaff that just gets blown away. One of the things that's challenging about a passage like this, and I'll, just to be completely honest, is how, um, how clear of a picture that we're seeing here. And that's why this psalm is called a wisdom psalm. And when you look at wisdom literature in the Bible, it's always about contrast. Here's the beautiful life. Here's the chaotic life, the restless life. And it has to do with what are you looking for in life? Who is defining for you what a good life is? Is it you? Just by, I'm going to follow my heart? Is it the culture around you? What is defining your definition of a beautiful life, of a good life? And one of the things that this psalm points us to is that it's very, there's parallel thoughts with the words of Jesus Christ. And I want to conclude by looking at um, the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, when he says some very similar things. He says this, his first sermon, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This idea of humility, that we're willing to listen to God's word, that you will have a blessed life. But then he concludes, Jesus in his sermon, he comes back to this choice thing again. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says this, Enter the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Here's those options again. How do you want to live your life? Jesus says there's a narrow way and there's a wide way. The wide way leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to what? That leads to life. Are we going to allow the words of Jesus Christ to determine and define what a beautiful life is? Are we going to allow the culture around us? Are you going to allow your own heart? We must know this. We have wise people in our community here. Culture is always changing. And are you sure you want to allow culture today to define what a beautiful life is, what a good life is? I found a, a, a picture, and I'm gonna, I'll show it next Sunday. It just made me start laughing. It was a picture from the very first Super Bowl, a halftime photo of Super Bowl number one. And it shows a football player, halftime, sitting in a chair, smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer. Like, halftime of Super Bowl. Like, Okay, 1967, 1968, whenever that was, like that was just normal. We're just going to light up 
<laughs> at halftime and start drinking a beer. Okay, so look, culture then, 1968, that was just normal. Like, yes, they, they were doing it. So we don't do that today. You don't see like NFL superstars lining, lighting up cigarettes and drinking beer during halftime Super Bowl, right? During the concert. Well, they all, maybe, maybe they want to, but it just can't culturally acceptable today. So I just, it's a great picture. I'm going to show it to you. Um, so be wise. Be wise in your thinking. That's what Psalms is talking about. That's what Jesus Christ is talking about. That the way of a beautiful life, Jesus says, that leads to life is hard, and few find it. Will you find the beautiful way? Will you have a beautiful life? Be aware of the busyness. Be aware of just nonstop activity. Be aware of how the world lives their lives. And Jesus says this. Here's another contrast. Verse 24, the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears my words, these words of mine, and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. It's a beautiful life because we all know, we all know that winds are going to come, storms are going to come in our lives, ups and downs in relationships, marriages have ups and downs, life has raising kids, ups and downs, being a part of a neighborhood, being a part of a church, we have ups and downs. But Jesus says this, choose, make a commitment. Make a commitment and follow the words of Christ. Follow Jesus Christ. There's a path. There's a way to live your life. And the most beautiful thing of all, though, is the gospel story. The gospel story is this, is that we've all chosen the foolish way. We've all chosen the foolish way. We will all choose the foolish way into the future, tomorrow, next week. I will choose popularity over friendship. You will choose popularity over friendship. You will be tempted to choose the good life by finding a, a certain number in your bank account and all these things. And the gospel is this, that every mistake we make there's forgiveness. That's called grace. That's called the gospel. That's called hope. That's called we don't have to live in guilt and shame. It's called today. You can renew your commitment to Jesus Christ. You can renew your desire to live the beautiful life. It might be hard. Jesus says, Jesus says, so we can't be shocked that it's hard. Jesus says it's hard, but it's beautiful. And it will endure the storms. It will give you the strength and the courage to live. And when we fail and when we make mistakes, we humbly come to Jesus. We humbly come to the cross. And we receive forgiveness because of what he did on the cross. It's my prayer and my hope for us as a church family that we would grow in having the right commitments in our families, in our friendships with each other as a church family. There are so many distractions in this world that want to pull us away from what's truly important, from a beautiful life. Modern problems, busy 
busy, 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 nonstop busy. The solution is Jesus Christ. To delight in Him. To meditate in Him. To walk through the narrow gate that's beautiful. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would be here this morning to open our hearts and our eyes to the beautiful good life that You want to give us. Father, we can, uh, we can all easily make mistakes in this life. And I pray that we would renew our commitment to You this morning to enter the narrow gate, even though the road might be hard, that when the storms come, that we'll still be standing because our lives are built on You. We thank You that You love us. We thank You for Your grace. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.